Take your Bible and turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. We'll be there in just a second. Uh, I want to lead us in a new series that we'll be in for the next month or so on family. Now, I, I need you to know that um, if, if you ever pray for me while I'm preaching, I, I need you to pray for me today. I, I have a, a fire in, in my gut, in, in something that is so passionate in my heart that I want to get out to you, but I don't want to unnecessarily burn you up. And I want the fire to be something that, that can consume us in a Holy Spirit way, but not in a way that blocks us from hearing. So as I zero in to try to do my best to get out in my flawed humanness, you pray for me today. If we were to identify the front lines of a cultural war in the United States of America today, uh, we would have to say that the battlefield where the fiercest fighting is taking place is on the battleground of the family. At no other time in life of our country has the family been under such attack as it is now. Those who stand in defiant opposition to God's truth are active and they are moving strong. In the courtrooms of our nation, the battle is being waged against redefining what family is, what marriage is, and ultimately what society will be, what it will look like in the coming years. While the jury is still out, it doesn't look like that Us as Bible-believing Christians are winning the war at this moment. Activist courts and radical activists with their own agenda are beginning to push their agenda of same-sex marriage, no-fault divorce, the lack of sanctity of life, of making it just a choice, parental rights and, and issues similar to them. And it's opened the door for a host of Diversions from God's standard for the family. It's to that end that of all people, we need to be clear about God's biblical definition for the family. If we're not clear what the family is supposed to be, how will we be salt and light to the world who is looking for us to define what God says? Now, as as I was praying about this this message and, and God began to put this fire in my heart today, I couldn't get away from the question that I think is, is resounding loud, not just here at Grace Point, but in the Church of Jesus Christ across America. It's the question of, why should I be concerned about the family? I mean, why should I be concerned? You may find yourself here today and you say, my family's fine. Or you may find yourself here today and say, I'm not married. I don't have kids. Or my loved ones have passed on. Well, why should I be concerned about the family? And as we get at that question as a core question today, I I want us to start by, by first looking at this question. It's in your outline. What is a family and who really has the authority to define it? Efforts in recent years to redefine the family are are further evidence of how far our culture has drifted from our Judeo-Christian roots. It's to that end that we have now found it necessary to have a formal definition of what a family is. While modern understanding of what family is often is is taken from our our whimsical, ever-changing views from our culture, which means when it's up, it's up. When it's down, it's down. When it's left, it's left. When it's right, it's right. And yet... As Christians, we have a fixed understanding that God has given us in His revelation in His Word. Let's look to God's Word together. Genesis chapter 2, I'll be reading 18 through 24. Follow along in your Bible with me. Then the Lord God said, 
It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper, a suitable helper for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. The man gave names to all the cattle and to all the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Genesis 2, verse 23, the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall be one flesh. Now, don't miss that. Verse 24, for this reason, for what reason? The things we just read, for this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Pastor Brady, why should I be concerned about the family? And what does this scripture have anything to do with the family? Well, friend, it's important to see that this verse is screaming out to us that marriage is God's idea, not man's idea. This isn't something that was invented recently. This isn't something that we just kind of constructed together as culture. God created man. God created woman. And when God created man and saw that he was alone, he said, this is not good. There's no suitable companion for him. And so he created Eve. And when he created woman, it's this verse 24 that jumps out at me for this reason. What reason? God created them. He created them to have a connection and and a oneness together. They shall leave their father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Marriage is this uniting of one man and one woman in a covenant of commitment for a lifetime. It's God's unique gift to reveal the union between Christ and his church and to provide for the man and the woman in marriage the framework for intimate companionship. It's worth noting that God gave us This understanding of marriage, this understanding of of how he's put man and woman to be together in the context of marriage before the fall, before sin entered into the world, this was established. God created marriage first. I believe this is important because in, in God's foreknowledge, he knew how far man would sink into his depravity. In other words, God created marriage So therefore, he is the highest authority, the highest authority to define what marriage is. Look with me at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 1, 28. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In other words, God is is saying kids are a gift to you. They're a blessing to you. I have called you to be fruitful and multiply and, and jot this down. God is saying that children are a blessing to marriage. 
This was God's idea. This isn't some accident. It's not just some accidental byproduct. He said that you are to go and be fruitful and multiply. In the context of marriage, I want to bless you. Psalm 127 verse 3 sings this tune. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Not a burden. Not some accident. Not just some things that happens. It's a gift from the Lord. So children are a gift or a heritage from God and a blessing from His hand. And so parents are to be accountable to Him for raising, for shaping, for parenting their children. For a life of service to God and to those around them. Marriage enables children to benefit from the unique complementary qualities of the male and the female in the form of mom and dad. God has designed for kids to be raised and nurtured in the environment of both mom and dad together in a committed lifelong marriage. Children, in turn, are to honor and obey their parents. I share all this to say that this is an answer to the question, who really has the authority to define the family? And maybe we ask, why is that definition of the family important? And again, this underlying question I think that is so prevalent in this room. While not many in this room would be maybe asking who can define family, who has the right, but I believe there are many who say, why should I, why should I even be concerned about the family? Well, well, check this out. Marriage is God's idea, God's creation. And children are God's idea, God's creation. Thus, the family is God's idea and God's creation. And when any person or any society feels that they have a better idea for marriage, a better idea for sex, a better idea for raising children, a better idea for family, in essence they're saying, I know better than God. I know more than God. And yet, for many in our culture, they deny the very existence of God. So when they are appointing themselves the arbitrator of the institution of the family and defining or redefining what it is, defining or redefining what marriage is, defining or redefining what parenting could or should be when they don't believe in god they're saying i am the god of marriage i am the creator i am the one who can make this into what it could or should be in their own eyes but friend the reality is that god has ordained the family as a foundational institution composed of persons related to one another by marriage by blood or adoption this is god's plan it's not important that this is what Brady thinks, or this is what the Church of the Nazarene thinks, or this is what Focus on the Family thinks. There's very little, if any, value in that. The value is in what God thinks about His creation. Okay, Brady, so, so God is the one who defines family. Fine. So what's the big deal? Why should I be concerned about the family? Some people have a different idea of family, and, and they may even have an inferior or wrong definition of or idea of family. So why should I be concerned about that? Isn't it their right to be wrong? Or maybe there's another thought that, that screams out that isn't it really our intolerant or very narrow view of what family is that's the problem in society? Shouldn't we just create a little bit more space and let others have their, their own say in what this is? Well, as simply and respectfully as I can put it, no. No. This has nothing to do with tolerance. This has nothing to do with people's opinions or or people's rights. See, we as humans, we are created by God. We are hardwired by God, our Creator, 
to fulfill his plan for the family. He designed us to function best, to, to work in the context of the, the family that he's created us to be in as, as a whole. It's, it's a lot like us trying to argue or disagree with a universal law. It's kind of like you arguing with the law of gravity. You may not like gravity. I don't always like gravity. I shared with you a, a couple of weeks or a month ago about me riding my bike and doing a dumb thing and clipping into pedals and falling over because I was attached to my bike when I slowed down. I don't like gravity. I fell flat on my side. It was embarrassing. It, it hurt. Gravity can, can be annoying. Gravity can take a toll on you. Gravity can be deadly. Whether you agree with gravity or not, it, it doesn't affect gravity. You may convince others that you have a better idea or definition for gravity. You may be able to convince others that you you have a better way for gravity to work. But friend, your ideas, your thoughts, no matter how many people you convince, will do nothing to affect the law of gravity. You either can work with the law of gravity or, or you can ignore the law of gravity or try to redefine it and you will pay a hefty price. It, it's as silly or absurd as if saying, you know what, I, I know that, that gravity supposedly says that if you drop something, it's going to fall. It's going to, it's going to come down. But I don't like this. That's narrow-minded. I, I don't think everything should fall. In fact, if you want things to fall, that's fine, but I don't really want this to fall, so, so I'm just going to not let it fall. And, and then, it, well, it, it doesn't matter what I think. It, it falls and it, it, it has consequences. Well, that, that's just how it is, but maybe if I just kind of defy it, I mean, that's kind of going down with it, but if I just go against it and I just try to, try to, uh, it still didn't work. Well, but that's for certain things. If, if I could get something that's, that's a little bit different, maybe that's just for certain objects or certain shapes or, or certain colors, but, but not everything. I mean, but, but this is different, and, and so gravity wouldn't apply to this. This is going to be a different thing, and, and it, it falls. Well, but, but what, what if, if I could change the color of it, or if I could change what it looks like on the outside, and I could just... I'm going to get hurt doing this, I think. I need someone to ask. I, I don't know, Ron. The, the pastors have workman's comp. I don't know if, I, if this is going to be an okay thing if I, if I get hurt here. But I mean, this, this is a trite and, and kind of silly or almost dumb. It's going to fall. Well, I don't want it to. It, it doesn't matter. Friend, God is the creator of marriage. He's the creator of children. He's the creator of the family. And so it doesn't matter what you think or, or what you want it to be. It's only going to work the way God has orchestrated or created it to be. The problem is that it's not just objects that we take, but then we take the idea of, of, of a family and we begin to say, well, I don't know that it always has to be that way. And we've been trying to do experiments with things and, and, and we pay a huge price for trying to ignore the laws that God has set into being. Oh, Brady. You bust pay, plates, you bust glasses, you throw a picture of a family. In the, who says the family's really broken? I mean, what, what evidence? Why should I be concerned about the family? Who says the family is really broken? The modern family is, is so different than it has been in years past. The family today is, is very different than the families that were 50 years ago. But who's to say all that change is, is bad? Who's to say that change is bad? And in essence, it's looking at the modern family, asking these questions. Is it a progressive evolution? Is that what the modern family is? Or is it a regressive erosion? Jot that down. Is it, is it a progressive evolution getting better and better? Or is it something going backwards, regressive 
erosion taking place? Is a modern family an improvement or a detriment? Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to suggest that it's the things of yesteryear, it's the things of the good old days that are always good. I'm not trying to say that just because the family has changed over the decades that those changes are what's bad. You know what, there's some things of, of a few decades ago that statistics tell us that there's been some change and it's, it's been for the good. It wasn't too many decades ago that a, a real strong vein of prejudice was evident in many, many families. And, and as there's been a change to an idea of who God loves and how God loves people, there's been a change in and not all the change has been bad. As we look at statistics, there has been in, in yesteryear a, a strong silence or a hush or sweeping under the rug about abuse in the home. And, and there's been many a person who endured abuse from family members that were stifled and, and kept quiet because we don't just talk about these things. And, and don't misunderstand me, just because there's change in the family doesn't mean that the change is all bad. But the flip side is true as well. Just because there's change doesn't mean that it is good. You see, as families have shifted over time, it's not that they have changed that's the problem. It's that they have gotten farther and farther away from God's standard. In our culture, when free love became more than just a word, it became a concept to embrace in our society. Sex no longer had to be in the context of marriage to be accepted as a cultural norm. Who's to say that somebody has to be married to have sex. It had a great detriment to the family. No fault divorce entering into our culture where I just don't feel like being married anymore had a great detriment to the family. Marriage was no longer a lifelong covenant or commitment. It was a contract of convenience that I will keep you all around as long as you make me happier, as long as it works for me. And it had a great detriment to the family. Even the way we look at children, things began to shift and change where children were no longer viewed as, as a, a blessing or, 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 or something to be desired, but they were a liability. They were a weight financially and, and, and they viewed children differently. Or this thought that kids don't need mom and dad as long as they have somebody who loves them. The statistics are overwhelming today. Effects of the absence of the father in the home have created a crisis in our kids and it's crippling our society. Pew Research Institute gives us some statistics that, that are interesting to me. In 2011, marriage at that moment had reached an all-time low of people who were asked were they married at that particular moment. Only 51% said that they were married at that time. It had never been that low. In 2010, 63% of children were reported to live in a two-parent home. The rest lived in a single-parent home. 41% of all single-mom households, households where mom is the sole provider, she's the, the only one in the home, 41% of those homes live below the poverty line as compared to 9% of homes living below the poverty line where mom and dad are both present. In 2013, 40.5% of all the babies who were born were born out of wedlock. In 2013, 7 out of 10 Colorado inmates had never at any point in their life 
had their natural father living with them. Now this one's interesting to me. As they began to try to trace what is the common thing between the people in the, the Colorado inmate system, the prison system. It wasn't race. It wasn't education. It wasn't income level that helped connect the dots that was a common thing in each of the inmates. The greatest unifying factor of those who were incarcerated in the Colorado prison system, seven out of ten of them had never, ever had their natural father live with them. Friends, the attack on the family, fracturing the family, has had a drastic impact on our society. Well, why don't people talk about this as much? It's not politically correct. See, the culture tells us that every lifestyle is to be supported and viewed as, as equivalent, as equal to one another. In their eyes, it's just like ketchup or mustard. Pick which one you want. There's no right or wrong or one's more effective or better. It's just whichever you want. Now, I'm not making light of these statistics. I'm not trying to cause you to have undue guilt. I'm not trying to cause you to feel any kind of shame. I'm just telling you that the statistics tell us there's a problem in the family. It's the same thing that the Romans did in their time before the collapse of their empire. Men with great white beards began to wax eloquently and talk about all kinds of things. Talking about how nothing was absolutely right or nothing was absolutely wrong and began to create windows for this relativism. And it led to the collapse of their society. Friend, if anyone is telling you today that the family unit is moving upward in this cultural crisis we have, I would question, are they really assessing and observing the things around them? Or are they pushing their own agenda? Now, I don't share all of this today to give you some kind of sociological lecture. While the research is true and it supports that there's a problem, I want to say that is not the primary reason why you should care about the family. Why should I care about the family? Not just because science tells us it causes tremendous problems in our culture. The reason we need to be concerned about the family is because there's an absence of a standard. It's an absence of God's standard. Now, I've got some people who are going to help me if if my friends would come on up here. Trust me, I'm not going to throw glasses or plates at you or anything like that. And as my friends come on up, come on up, don't be afraid. We got everybody okay. I I have a simple mind, and sometimes simple things help me. And if you have a complex mind, just take a nap. And the rest of us who are simple, this would be helpful. Come, Come on up here, those of you who are going to help me with God's standard. You look godly. Very good. Come on over here. Oh, changing places. Here we go. And, and this rope, I want it to represent God's standard, His, His plan. Okay, hold it high. God's plan's high. Keep it tight. There's no sag in God. Okay, this is good. And, uh, and God has said, this, this is how things are to be. This is what is true. This is what is right. Who says? Well, I say. Well, that's kind of old-fashioned. Well, God's been around forever. He's kind of old. He fashioned the world, so He gets to be the one because He's created us. He said, this is how it is. This is God's standard. And then God has created us as his people. Come on up here, guys. You, you look like God's people. This is good. I want you to just stand here on this step and then take this, this for us. This, this white rope is going to represent for us the church, God's people, and the standard in, in which we live. And God has called us to live as close to his standard as possible. In fact, he's given us 
tools. He's given us helps to stay connected to him, to to hold to his standard and and to to not let anything affect that. And so this is God's plan. And this is what he said. He said, this is my standard. You are my people. You are to hold to the standard, to the line, to, to the bar that I have set for you. But but something else has come into the world and it happened there at the fall. Sin entered the world and the people of the world were, were sinful. Now, guys, you look kind of sinful. Come on over here. This is good. You can take one of these. Come on down here. I meant you look beautiful. That's what I meant. This is my wife. It's not sinful. You just stand right here. And so we have this other line. And this is not determined by what God thinks or what this is just whatever it wants to be. And this is, in fact, the very definition of this line, the sinful line, is lawlessness. Scripture says sin is lawlessness. Doing what every man thinks is right in their own eyes. But, but here's what happens. When we live in a culture, the culture connects itself to us. And we begin to have this tug on us, the church, God's people. And it pulls on us away from God's standard. Now, now this, this is nothing new. This is how it has been for all time. God set His standard. He called His people, followers of God, to hold to His standard. And the world system, the sinful system around us, has been pulling down. And there's a tension there. There's a tension. But, but here's what begins to happen. There are times when we say, well, I don't, I don't know if, 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 if all this is right. I mean, he's just pulling and, and I've got stuff here and there. And you know what? I, I believe in God, but, but we're, we're a little bit more progressive than others. And so we, we, we lose our attachment to God's standard and something, something happens. Brent, come on down a step. Carrie, come on down a step. It begins to pull us. Now, church, you guys can take a step down. And while we're still connected somewhat to God's standard, it's, it's beginning to slope. Now, here's what the church says. Here's what God's people say. I'm above sin. I'm not as bad as them. We haven't sunk to that type of depravity. Well, well, congratulations. You're five inches above the red line. This is good. Guys, this, this is bad. This is not at all what God wants, but, but this isn't as bad as it gets. This is not even where we're at. What's happened in our culture today is not just the church saying, well, we're above the red line and we're not quite to God's standard. Here's what's happening is we are disconnecting from God's standard. And we find a picture more like this, where we we say we know where God's at, but we're more tied to to the line of sin, to the line of the world. And we begin to see this distance farther and farther. And as bad as this is, this isn't the worst thing yet. What is happening today in our culture while you and I can do nothing to erase God and His standard, our culture is pretending and is acting as if this standard doesn't even exist. And so this lack of a standard is causing us to be confused about what God is calling us to do with the family. And we, well, why should I be concerned about the family? I'm not on the red line. I'm not below it. I'm above it. Look, I'm three steps above that silly, stinking, sinful people. But this is not our, our standard. It's God's standard. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. Give him a hand for not getting hit with glasses and plates. Good job. You see, when we remove the standard, everything becomes relative. When you take away that, that gold line, that rope that God has said this is what it's supposed to be, how do you know what is best, what is right, what is good? One reason some people reject the idea that the family is fractured or broken is because of a lack of a standard. Right. They compare their ideas 
the state of their family to culture and they say, well, I'm better than that, so I'm fine. And it leads us to this thought. So what's the big deal? Brady, why should I be concerned about the family? Here's why. Because of this new normal. We're learning to live life with lower standards. And it doesn't mean that we're really living. In fact, we're not living in the joyful victory that God has given to us. You know, it depends on who you ask what family really is. But fortunately, the Bible defines family and the directions for family never, ever change. So let's go back to Scripture again and let's see that God has a plan for family. He's not making some arbitrary rules just because there's an actual plan. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 6. We'll be there in just a second. When God originally called out Israel as his people, he established that that they would be his witnesses. The nation of Israel was not an end in itself. It was a means to an end. In other words, God did not call Israel to just be a bucket to hold and receive all the blessings that God would give. God called them to be more of a conduit to receive his blessing, yes, but to, to administer, to give them, to transport them to the rest of the world. Israel was to communicate the truth about God to the world. You see, this is not some thought of a irrelevant argument of semantics of, well, you say this and I say that, but it's really the same thing. No, this is important because God's plan for the family is rooted in God's plan for the world. The message of God is is wrapped up in the family. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your might. Now look at verse 6. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and daughters. You shall talk uh, over them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as signs on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Well, what does this mean? In essence, this was the standard. This was the, the, the go-to message for God's people. The great statement was that there is only one God. There's none above Him. He is the Creator. He is the source of life. He is the one who sets the standard. The mechanics for passing this standard on were found in verse 6. There's a personal commitment. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. It's not outsourced to someone else. It goes right to mom. It goes right to dad. It should be on your heart. There is this personal commitment to this commandment. And yet it goes on. There's a second step in verse 7 and 9. It's a parental communication call. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and daughters. You shall talk over them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as signs on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on doorposts and of your house and on your gates. That's God's plan for passing on the faith and passing on the truth about himself from parent to child. And when the child grows and becomes mature and when they now become the parent, they pass it on to their children and so on and so on. God's plan was to communicate through speech what you say should speak about God to your family and the symbols, the things that you adorn yourself with. It should be on you. It should be what you wear. You are clothed in the truth of God and then in the surroundings. In other words, the children were to see God's word throughout the houses of their parents, even in their absence. They were to see it symbolized in what their parents wore. They were to hear it when their parents opened their mouth. The law of God was to be passed on so that godliness 
and righteousness could move from one generation to the next. So God cares about the family. Why? Because he created the family. God cares about fractured families. Why? Because the family was a part of his plan to to pass on the faith, the truth about who he is. Now, it's not surprising to me that our world is, is so numb, so indifferent to the crisis of the family. It's not because they're so ignorant. It's not because, I think for many, not all, but for many, it's not because they're so dead set against it. It's because they are lulled into this false sense of truth from Satan. And Satan's attack has been going after God's plan from the very beginning of time. From the beginning, Satan has tried to upset God's plan. And to accomplish that, he plans to undermine every righteous institution that God sets up. He wants to destroy the family. Because by disrupting it, removing children, creating fractures in the family, brings chaos to God's delivery system of faith. He uses divorces. He uses adulteries, fornication, selfishness, pride, apathy, whatever else he can to drive wedges between the family so it cannot do what God intends it to do. Make no mistake, Satan is attacking the sanctity of marriage. Why should I be concerned about the family There is a very real attack. Listen to God's definition of marriage again and see if it squares with what you hear from our culture. Marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in a covenant commitment for a lifetime. God's unique gift to reveal the union between Christ and His church to provide for the man and woman in marriage the framework for intimate companionship. That didn't sound anything like the idea of marriage we find. But why should I be concerned about the family, well, Hebrews thirteen four says, marriage must be respected by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge immoral people and adulterers. God cares. That's why. Right. Satan is working in our world today, attacking the very definition, the very sanctity of marriage. But he doesn't stop there. It's not a one frontal attack. He's going every direction he can. He's attacking the high calling of parenting. In an ever-increasing attack on the responsibilities, on the rights, on the privileges, on the duties of parents to be the primary caregiver, the primary provider, the primary educator, the primary disciplinarian of their child, it's no accident that the world is going against every single one of those categories. Satan is attacking this idea that it is mom and dad's call to be the parent of their child. Satan would love to see parents outsource their God-given role to schools. Now hear me. I'm not saying schools are all evil. I'm not saying the public school system is, is to blame for this breakdown of the family. In our household, I believe in being salt and light in the public schools. The other half of my ministry partner is, is called into the public school system. But the problem is, is when we begin to, to accept as God's people that it's their job to train up our kids. It's their job to educate our kids on what is right and wrong. When we outsource it, we're just waiting for a crisis. When we outsource it to government, when we outsource it to anyone or anything other than God's standard. Oh, who says? God's standard says this is what a family is. This is what a mom and dad are to do. This is how a parent is to respond, how a child is to respond. God has called us to honor our mother and father, and Satan is attacking the high calling of honoring your father and your mother. 
When we think about this verse, kids, we often think about you. Parents, if you've not learned this verse yet in, in Ephesians, children, obey your parents, for this is good, for this is right in the Lord. Memorize it. I heard it over and over and over. But I want to challenge us today. This is good and godly instruction for children of a young age. But the way my logic works, the way I do my math, everybody in here is a child of somebody. Now, your parents may have passed on, but you're a child of somebody. Your parents may not have stayed together, but you're a child of somebody. Your parents may or may not have been a godly example, but you're a child of somebody. And friends, part of parenting is honoring, respecting our parents. We're going to talk over the next couple of weeks of how do we honor and respect our parents that are gone? How do we honor and respect our parents who are godless? How do we honor and respect our parents who are godly? What does that look like? Satan is attacking the high calling of honoring our father and our mother. And finally, Satan's attacking the ordained gift of the family by by dividing us. Whether it be by divorce, whether it be by the pursuit of materialism that everybody's going their own way to achieve and gain more, whether it's this idol of experiences, i got to be on 17 ball teams and, and every club that can be, and I'm going to do every extracurricular activity, or I'm going to do every extra assignment at work, or I'm going to achieve every level of homemaking possible. We are divided by the constant busyness. Satan is attacking the God-ordained gift of family by getting us to be isolated in that division. Now where God has given us the gift of family where we should support one another, we stand in the same house. We are geographically close, but we are miles apart emotionally. We are miles apart spiritually. And what God has intended to be a strength for us, a safe haven, a sanctuary for us, has become a place of isolation. Satan is attacking the God-ordained gift of family by outsourcing dad's role, mom's role, and the child's role. Well, Brady, I'm so glad I came to church. I'm thoroughly depressed. Are we too far gone? Friend, I suggest to you today, we cannot escape our culture, but we don't have to be shaped by it. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to take this month of November and we're going to be looking at how God is calling us to to look within first before we start pointing fingers and yelling in a megaphone at everybody else. See, God wants to do something in us, and we're going to look at what what God's plan is for marriage. Great. I'm not married. What good is this going to be for me? Hey, hey, why should you be concerned about marriage? Why should you be concerned about family? Because God is concerned about family. God is concerned about marriage. And we're going to talk about what that looks like for those of us who sometimes feel on the outside of this thing of family or marriage. You are actually brought into this, and we're going to see what God has to say about that. Also, God, He specializes in making something beautiful out of things that are broken. We're going to be pulling things out of this trash can that Our world has smashed to pieces and we're going to begin to put back together the pieces of the family that that God wants to to make beautiful things out of. God can bring beauty out of ashes and we're going to find the hope in that over the next few weeks. But as we close today, what takeaway would we have today? If that's where we're going, looking at what God says about marriage, what God says about parenting and honoring our father and mother, looking at what God says about reconciliation in the home and what God says to us about healing in the home, that's where we're going together. But what about today? And what could some of the action steps, how could we respond to what God is teaching us about marriage? 
as I close this morning, I suggest these are three things that, that this text is calling out to us. Friends, you and I are called to define family. And not in our own eyes, but we must know what God says and be careful to hold to God's definition, God's standard, stay connected to the gold rope, and we are to, to define what family is. Friends, if, if you and I don't define God's standard for family, who will? Why do we get so mad when we turn on the news of, of people who may not claim to, to know Christ and we get so angry at them because they're not talking about the gold rope? You and I are to talk about the gold rope. And not only defining what family is according to God's word, but I, I think we're called to declare family. We're not to be silent. And we shouldn't fall into this trap to say, well, well we're judgmental or, or we're too narrow-minded or, or we're too pushy. Friends, why should you and I be concerned about the family? Because God is concerned about the family. What's none of our business? God said, I've created the family so that you can pass on faith from one generation to the next. So, so you can not just be a bucket to receive my blessing, but you can be a conduit to receive my blessing. And then it can flow through you to those around you. It may not be politically correct, but it's what God says. We are to declare His truth about family. But those two fall apart if we can't do the third. Today, could we make a covenant that we would demonstrate family God's way? We must be careful to demonstrate to our world that God is very real. The evidence that which they can see is the lives that we live. When Christians fail to practice what they preach, when we fail to demonstrate what we declare... The world begins to ignore everything that we say and everything that we stand for. So what would it look like for us today to, to define family, to, to clip back onto God's standard and say this is what family is, and to declare the importance of family, but maybe even louder yet, could we demonstrate through our own life what family is? As we close this morning, I want to invite us to do a simple thing. For some it may be uncomfortable, but, but it shouldn't be. God help us, it shouldn't be. I want us to end by having a time of prayer. And if your family unit is here today, I want you to get close to them. So if they're sitting in another part of the auditorium, it's like permission to move around in church. It's okay. Get up and and, and go sit by your family. And so we don't have chaos. If dad's in the room, go sit by dad. If dad's not here, go go sit by mom. It's okay. Go, Go find him. This is good. Take your coffee. Take your stuff. This is good. Go find him. And in a minute, if dad's in the room, I want dad to take the lead. Dad, I want you to begin to lead in prayer for you and your family in just a minute. If dad's not here, mom, I want you to take the lead. Now, now as soon as we do this, I acknowledge, here's what happens for some of us. I'm not trying to make light of this. It's a very real thing. Some of us get very uncomfortable. Because for whatever reason, our family is not in the room. Maybe they're just out of town. But for some of us, it's a representation of, of great heartache. What we wouldn't give to have that family member with us. What we wouldn't give to, to have that relationship restored. What we wouldn't give to, to have a family unit that, that we've ever experienced at all. And so if you're here today and you're by yourself, I want you to represent your family. Well, I don't even think I have a family. We're going to talk about how you do have a family, but, but you're, you're in this. Why should you care about family? Because God created it and He cares about you. So whether you're praying by yourself or... You're praying at a distance for your family who's not in the room or, or you find 
that your family's right by you, we want to be asking God, would you not just help us to define family? Would you help us not just to declare it, but, but today, could we ask God to increase our sensitivity of why we should even care about family? Could we ask God over the next month to help us demonstrate what godly family looks like? Now, many of us in our cultural traditions, you're going to be at tables with Thanksgiving. You're going to be around trees at Christmas time coming up. There's going to be so much family. You're going to overdose on family. But, but what would it look like if you would demonstrate God's family in a way that could be a, a conduit for, for faith, not only for the future generation in your bloodline, but what if God could reach others through your family? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, dads, I, I told you, for some this is going to be uncomfortable. It shouldn't be. God help us, it shouldn't be. But I, I'm just going to say it is, so we can all say it is. That's fine. Out loud, it may be a whisper. It may be a, a small voice. That's okay. So your family can hear you. I want you to lead and pray. And I want you to ask God this simple thing. God, would you convict us? Would you help us to be more concerned about family the way you're concerned about family? And than anything else he puts on your heart. And as we pray together... If dad's not here, mom, you lead. If your family's not here, you represent your family. And I want us to respond to God's word together today. So let's do that together. Let's pray. As I pray, you pray. Father God, I come to you right now. And I ask that today and over the next number of weeks that you will increase the burden, the sensitivity in my heart for the wise heart family. God, would you remind me that you care deeply about what happens at 6418 Durango Drive? Would you begin to give me a passion for your standard for for family, not just in abstract, but for for Brady and Carrie and for Caden? God, I lift up my brothers and sisters across this room, and God, I pray that you would raise the the sensitivity and the awareness that, that you created us male and female. You created mom and dad. You created the unit of family, and, and God... Would you help us to care about it the way you care about it? Not out of a political agenda, but out of the one who has formed and fashioned us from the beginning of time. We want to do life the way you have created us to. And so, God, give us that burden. And, Lord, in closing, we give you permission right now, whether we feel like our family is fractured or not, whether we feel like this is something we want to hear about or not, We give you permission, if there's anything in our life, in our family, that you want to address, we say right now, we want to be obedient. Now, Dad, don't pray that unless you mean it. If you mean that, you pray for your family that you would be obedient to what God tells you. You pray right now and ask that for your family. Mom, if you're praying, you do the same. Father God, I thank you for the truth of your word you've given to us today. I pray that you'll empower us to to define family the way your word tells us. God, could we declare it and stop being bashful and shy about declaring your truth? And and Lord, would you allow our demonstration of family to speak louder than the words that we say? We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Friends, I want to thank you for your attention today. I want to encourage you and remind you that one opportunity you have to declare God's values for family is in our responsibility and privilege and right to, to vote and in the coming days. 
Now, I'm not telling you how to vote, but I'm telling you prayerfully vote. I'm telling you to vote. Prayerfully vote. And seek God to help you. Now, if you like assistance and and helping make sense of all the options you have, there's a voter guide available to you. And and this voter guide just tries to list some different issues that Christians are concerned about and help you see where people have taken a different stand. You check that out. If this is not for you, that's okay. You prayerfully consider, God, how would you have me declare the truth about family? That's one arena. It's not the only. But the window of time is coming very soon. Thank you for your attention. May God bless you. You don't want to miss the next couple of weeks as we look at how God wants to bless us again with his plan for family. Thanks for worshiping together. You're dismissed.